and we are live! Hello to all my guys, gals, and non-binary pals of Audio Podcast Land, and welcome to the Season 1 finale of Knights of Pain Town, a City of Mist actual play podcast. I am your master of ceremonies, Mikey. You can follow all me on all of the social medias at Pop Culture Geek or Vibe Tribe Productions. And as I mentioned, we are in the season finale of Knights of Pain Town. It has been a long journey, and I'd like to thank everybody for listening. But as always, I can never do this alone. I am joined by my amazing cast of players. So we're going to go around real quick, introduce who they are playing. And then we'll just jump straight into it. So, first person to give their introduction for tonight is going to be Echo. Hi everyone, I'm Echo. I play Dagda. You should know this by now, though. Welcome to the finals. It's been a great journey, and I hope we can have many more. I pass it on. Excellent. And of course, last but certainly not least, joining me tonight is the one and only Josh. Hi, Josh. You may know me as MG Preacher. Forgive me for stalling, but I want this night to last as long as possible. <laughs> but uh, I want to personally thank you guys for uh, for being a, a part of this and listening to the utter shenanigans that comes out of us. But uh, you may know, but if you don't, I play Friedrich Krupp, a police canine handler. And my issues just so happens to be so the three-headed pet as the underworld. Mose, excellent. Alrighty, so with that out of the way, let us begin proper with a quick recap. Last time on Knights of Pain Town, you guys managed to find your way to the abandoned fairground with information of figuring out where Miss Ellie Woodworth was, the missing wife that you come to find out was missing of Miss Pauline, but also got a tip that whoever was messing around in the city happened to be here. And upon reaching the fairgrounds, Friedrich and Corey, as well as Officer Dawes and Quinn and Pete, Mr. Holiday, our PI friend who decided to weasel his way onto this investigation squad as well as Severus. You guys managed your way to get to the abandoned fairground where upon entering, you were surprised by a couple of things with the lack of electronics working and lots of half-human, half-mechanical, hybrid-looking people dividing and conquering the party as y'all split Essentially, what ended it happen, Friedrich and Dawes found, managed to find their way down a hole. They almost got set on fire. And Corey had a very interesting reunion with his father, who apparently is not dead as everyone else thinks he is. Corey knew better, but even still. Friedrich and Officer Dawes nearly escaped being burnt to line, which Friedrich helped Dawes come face to face with some trauma from her childhood and the fire that engulfed her family when she was a young girl. And through some minor storytelling plot devices and shenanigans, everybody managed to find their way and came face to face with the culprit, so to speak, behind all this, of one Dr. Maximilian Drake, who is the Rift of Hephaestus, the Greek god of the forge, as well as weaponry, along with some other stuff. 
And immediately got decked in the face. Yeah, he got immediately decked in the face, but he's... He... Yeah, he's an interesting individual. And as you guys made your way back to the van in order to escort him in and take him back to the precinct, he told you all that the Snow Queen would be making her presence known soon and just non-resistantly as nonchalant is ready to go y'all hopped into the vehicles and began making your way back to the city and that is where we're going to pick up right now so it is eerily quiet in the police SUV I'm going to say that Friedrich you're probably driving because Dawes is just like still coping with everything that she went and experienced so within this ominous silence Friedrich, you're driving the car. Everybody else is just in this eerie silence. Das is staring out the window. Quinn is just looking at the ground. The Detective Holiday is just also looking out the window. And in the back, in cuffs and being watched by Cerberus, is Maximilian Drake. Corey, you're also in the I'm, front seat. I'm, in the, I'm driving ahead. I'm, I brought my own car. Oh, yeah, that's right. You, you brought your own car, so you're taking the lead point. You're driving your own car. And it takes a bit for y'all to get back to the precinct, but it's been a very interesting couple of hours. So what I'm going to do is to kind of going back to the precinct. I want to ask you both, what is your character currently thinking of? What's going through their head right now? What is their inner monologue, so to speak? Corey, what's going through your head at the moment? Currently through his head, it's just thoughts of anger and violence. And the other part of him is trying to, like, corral it. As once as once a great musical says, this powder keg is about to explode. That is fair. That it, conversation with your father is still playing in the back of your mind. Oh, and that figure, knowing about what the doctor, knowing her... Last session here, the connections with the chief. Corey's not in the right mind space to think complete thoughts. Like, you might not know about this. It's There's no complete thoughts. It's ready to explode. It's like flashes of images at best. Yep, so that is fair. Friedrich, what about you? What's running through your head at the moment? Yes. <laughs> Usually, Friedrich is really level-headed. So he's constantly able to clearly think things out. But with everything happening to him in such a short amount of time, I'd say about a week at most, he doesn't know what to think anymore. All of a sudden, he's learning of rifts and mythos and all these different... He's thinking of all these odd cases that he might have had to work or has just heard about or seen some files in the filing rooms. Now he's thinking if all these unsolved cases could be results of these supernatural beings. And all that is at the front of his head, but in the back of his head, the one thing he is thinking on is how emotionally troubled Doss is now, li literally reliving her past. And because Doss has always been one to never let emotions get to her, kind of like Friedrich, I guess you could say. But seeing her literally just break down like that, 
that has gotten Friedrich absolutely furious. Knowing this, uh, that this person who made his, his best friend relive such a traumatic experience, there is... First, I'll say, Friedrich has always been considered as a gentle giant. He's never wanted to hurt or harm anybody or anything. But with what Maximilian Drake did to Das, making her relive the most traumatic event of her life, in the back of Friedrich's mind, there, there's just insatiable hunger to make him pay for tearing down his best friend like that. And so, with the sounds of traffic passing the, the SUV and everything, with the hum of the engine, if anybody is really paying attention, one very certain thing they could hear, which I don't know how many sessions ago it was, but it is a that same very quiet but very low and guttural growl. Like a animalistic growl. Because, like I said, his best friend has always been the one to never let emotions get to her. And here she is, all she can do is just stare out the window because she just had to relive such a traumatic experience. So there's now this insatiable hunger to make this person who caused all that pay for what he did. Friedrich never wants to hurt anybody, but now Friedrich is just like, one way or another, I will make him pay for what he did to my friend. Yeah, that's fair. That is very fair. Ooh, this is going to make this next part very interesting. So, as the two of you, as well as the rest of your group, individually think upon everything that has happened within the last couple of hours, and as well as just a mixture of emotions from anger to frustration to intrigue to sadness, all kinds of things just washing over each one of you. You spend the rest of your journey on the road in silence and within a few hours, you guys make your way back to the station where everyone kind of just somberly gets out of the car and then Friedrich, you, Daz, Quinn, unconsciously just follow the protocol when getting Dr. Drake out of his the car in his wheelchair and all that stuff. Corey, you're also there helping out Holidays, watching from afar, knowing that he really doesn't have any jurisdiction since he's just a PI and not actually a police officer. As you all walk in and wheel Dr. Drake through the office, you see your fellow officers. Well, you see the fellow officers within the precinct kind of stare at all of you with various looks of surprise, intrigue. Some of them are whispering amongst each other. Vegas, what's this going? Oh, boy. Ramirez has to be the happy one. Freaking Ramirez, man. <laughs> and we don't say can... anything. We just keep walking. Yeah, so as you continue this march through the precinct, good old chief waiting for you at the holding, where once again he is holding his black onyx cube in hand, 
and kind of just looks at everyone. He takes in a deep breath and without even uttering a description or words, he gives you Friedrich and Nadas. You can still smell the the mixture of sulfur and smoke coming from your clothing, given the fact that you were almost burnt alive, as well as Officer Dawes. And a little bit of this too. You smell like smoke. And without even giving a verbal confirmation, he just takes his cube, he touches it against the doorknob, which then begins to reveal the true nature of this marble look of this ordinary mahogany door now turned into marble stone. And you go in with everybody in tow. Are we in now? Yeah, so as the chief kind of leads you in and closes the door, once again, the holding cells has transformed into more of a black onyx exterior and interior with kind of a cybernetic accents across all of it. And of course, just like last time you were all here, you have a voice here. A voice comes over in the ether and says, Hello, and welcome back to Pandora. How may I be of assistance to you? And the chief kind of just speaks up. We're we're just here to drop off another person, Pandora. Certainly, chief. And across the ether, my readings show that there is a little bit of smoke exposure within Pandora. Officer Dawes, Off- Officer Friedrich, and Cerberus, please make your way over. As there's a bit of a door further away just glows up inside i have your spare clothes and a shower waiting for you when you are ready please spit through so that way we can keep pandora safe and clean if you would be so kind i guess coach just told us to hit the showers the chief kind of looks at you through and says don't worry i'll we'll keep dr drake occupied and you guys come back we can we can do our interrogation I look at the chief. Who made pit? Who made this place? Because I think I know who I do. I just, I just hope I'm wrong. And as the chief begins to say, as he's about to say something, you hear Doctor Drake speak. Oh, of course, we. Of course, I'm the one who built Pandora. Who else is going to? Did you know? By the way, we've started walking off to go to the showers now. Okay. So I'll say the three of you are taking your showers and getting all that and whatnot. So it's just Corey, yeah, the Corey, chief, and Dr. Drake at the moment. Corey's definitely not doing this in front of those two. Okay, that's good to know. All right, so Corey, you said, did you know? Are you asking Dr. Drake or are you asking the chief? I'm asking the chief. So the chief kind of looks at you, Corey, and she's like, of course I've known that Dr. Drake here was the one who built Pandora. Not Pandora. Pandora, I'm fine. Did you know about the others? I need you to be specific here. What are you talking about, Mr. O'Reilly? Did you know about the experiments? What experiments? What he's done to Dawes. What he's done to multiple people in this city. This city was almost destroyed by what it by his theories. Did you know? Oh, come now, Mr. O'Reilly. Why would I waste my time explaining my grand design and my theories 
to someone who doesn't share my vision or has the mental capacity to comprehend such intangible things. Because as you say, we're controlled by our mythos. And, and Vulcan is one of the one of the twelve Hephaestus is one of the twelve Olympians who served Zeus. Don't get it. Don't misunderstand, Mr. O'Reilly. We are a slave to our mythos. However, the actual people that house said individuals within them, us vessels, if you will, we have no actual relation. And he looks over to the chief and says, And besides, like I said before, I don't waste my time on those who don't possess the mental fortitude or cup capabilities and capacity for such theoretical designs. I, I look at the chief. I believe I should be I should see what I can do for this one instead of you. The chief looks at you, Corey, and says, No. You may work with me and we can ask these questions together, but I am not leaving you alone with him. You may ask your questions. I'm just saying you cannot keep him here as a prisoner. I'm not what? letting the chance of him escaping happen. Oh, you don't have to worry about that, Mr. O'Reilly. I have no intention of escaping. Really doubt that? Why would I go through all the trouble to give my position away to lead you all to come find me only to escape? What kind of logical fallacy would that be? Most would say, most would think you're correct, but the one never wants on pure logic, as we've seen. So, O'Reilly, I understand that your propensity to believe in people is not necessarily the highest, given your history, and then, of course, your own father is a little bit of a dubious sort. But I give my word that I don't plan to escape. <laughs> Besides, I feel like I'm a lot safer in here than I would be out there, especially when the Snow Queen makes her return. I look at the chief, ask your questions, protect your people. I'm going. As he just leaves. Uh, okay, so Corey, you gonna dip? Corey's got his own place to protect. Alright. So, I'm assuming you're going back to the house then? Yeah. Okay. So then, we'll cut to you in a little bit. So at this time, Daz, Cerberus, and you, Friedrich, you guys finish up your showers, you get into your spare clothes, thanks to Pandora, and you guys walk back. At this point, Friedrich, you overhear Corey saying that he's going to leave and he's going to go back to his house. And as you come out of the showers to rejoin the Chief and Dr. Drake, you just see Corey exiting Pandora and heading back into the station. And the chief kind of just looks at you, Friedrich, and says, Since you're here, Friedrich, I guess you will assist me now in the interrogation. Friedrich doesn't say anything immediately. He just looks at the chief. And in reality, like maybe five seconds pass. But for Friedrich, it feels like five minutes has passed. And... Uh, just kind of go blank and I go, very well. Okay. 
Yeah, for Friedrich, things are moving like really slow right now. It's like almost like things are moving in slow motion for him. Okay, so now let me... So with that, the chief kind of wheels Dr. Drake into the cell, which just the current Martha Ellis, the jazz lounge singer that you guys caught during your first case, who's still chilling in her... Yeah, in her cell, which is basically replicated to be similar to her dressing room at the bar. As oh, Dr. Also, Dr. Go ahead. Are spare clothes, are they spare uniforms or are they civilian clothes? You tell me. I'm going to say they're civilian clothes, but they're not like standard like rock and roll t-shirts or anything. For Friedrich, they would be like blue jeans and almost like a button-up duty shirt, but not really a duty shirt. It's like a 5'11 tactical casual wear. Okay. So, as the chief wheels Dr. Drake into his cell, he just wheels him in. And initially, just like with Martha, the cell is ordinary looking, but as soon as Dr. Drake passes the threshold of it, the cell kind of transforms, scanning Dr. Drake as Pandora gets his vitals, scans his profile. Profile complete. Prisoner name, Dr. Maximilian Drake. Beginning cell transformation now. And Friedrich, as you are watching from the outside, you see the inside of the cell, thanks to Pandora, begin to transform to that something similar of a... It looks to be like a doctor's office, more towards the psychology end of So it's very neutral colors, such as like a cream white, some grays and black accent. There's like a patient couch as well as a desk with a couple of notebooks. There's a bookshelf with some books as it begins to transform. And within a short amount, you basically see a psychiatrist's office inside of the cell and the chief kind of gets dr drake in takes off his cuffs while he's in and of course dr drake is still in his wheelchair and dr drake turns and says that will be all chief thank you very much as the chief kind of walks out closes the door locks it behind and basically the cell with pandora's help transforms into kind of a just like last time see-through tempered glass that allows you to communicate with Dr. Drake inside, but he's not going anywhere anytime soon. Well then, and looks directly at you, Friedrich, Dr. Drake says, then it seems that the interrogation has begun. And looks at the chief. I would rather speak to Mr. Friedrich here. So if you don't mind, <laughs> Mr. Friedrich, why don't you go ahead and ask your first question? I will be more than happy to answer anything that you ask of me. Who is the Snow Queen you mentioned earlier? Oh, I see we're just getting straight to the point. You don't want to know why I did what I did at the carnival, my experiments? I like you, Mr. Friedrich. You're a man that doesn't waste any time. Ah, the Snow Queen. She's going to bring a change to Pain Town. In fact, it seems that her work is already underneath its way. But she is going to be the person that 
cleanses Paintown of all the suffering and of all the pain that people are experiencing, especially those that have been afflicted with their rift powers. So she's what, gonna wipe everybody up? Oh no. She's not going to kill everyone. She's not gonna kill anyone. <laughs> Far from it, Mr. Friedrich. She's just going to help them come to terms with what lays dormant within them. That's all. Sounds to me it's like that could possibly do more harm than good. And why do you say that, Mr. Friedrich? Is it such a bad thing for people to work through the things that are laying dormant inside? Shouldn't they be allowed to explore the extent of what makes them tick? What makes their identity them? Simple. Because there's hundreds, if not thousands of people and families out there who are perfectly happy with their lot in life currently. Everything that you say that you or the uh, Snow Queen are going to do could possibly screw all that up. Happy families could be torn apart. Oh, my boy. It seems that you don't quite understand. Tell me, how familiar are you with the concept of Carl Jung's famous psychologist's idea of archetypes? I can't honestly say I've even heard the name. That's okay. Not many people have an understanding of it, but I'll give you the brief rundown. Carl Jung was a psychologist that believed that each person's personality falls underneath one of 12 different archetypes. And these archetypes can be, simply put, a mask that, a role that people tend to play, a mask that they wear out in public. And everybody plays their role because that is what they are designed to do. My dear boy, the Snow Queen wants to take that mask off and she just wants individuals to truly feel like they do not have to play a role, that they do not need to hide behind the mask that society has given them. All she wants to do is to let those, especially those afflicted with rift powers such as yourself, be able to fully explore and come to terms with who they are and truly live the way that they were meant to. Dear boy, even now, you have the archetype of the protector. Your line of work speaks volumes. You are very protective of your friends and of your canine companion here too. You took a job to serve the good people of Paintown and you want to uphold that justice and due diligence are given. But in theory, my boy, that's just the mask that you've created yourself. Deep down, I know that there's something more that afflicts you. Especially given that you have only just awakened to your rift powers. I know you feel inside of you, Friedrich. You feel that darkness. You feel something coming to the surface every time your emotions get out of check. Why try to keep it chained down? You need to let that chain break and let loose and then you'll truly be able to live as your true self and not this persona or archetype that you have created for yourself. As he just gives you a wicked smile behind the bars, Friedrich. 
when he sees the smug grin, Friedrich tries to remain, I guess you could say, neutral, but that gnawing hunger in the back of his head is starting to grow a little bit. And there's no really major, like, transformations to Friedrich right now. Except if somebody was to look, his canine teeth are starting to grow a little sharper and a little larger. Friedrich just takes a step closer to this glass, and Friedrich goes, You have no idea who I am. I know who I am. You do not. Yes, I protect my friends. Yes, I protect the people of this city. I am not some creature to be chained. I know exactly who I am and what I must do. And that's to protect these people from freaks like you. And Friedrich will take a step back. As you take a step back, Dr. Drake does keeps eye contact with you and just gives you a jaunt little smile. Ah, we all must do what we need to in order to protect our egos, and to protect our sense of identity. Oh, but don't worry, Friedrich. I promise you will be set free soon enough. Once she makes her return into Pain Town, trust me, you will fall in love with her ideology. And in fact, many have already, as he turns his head. It seems that... Miss Ellis over here knows what I'm talking about, and just smiles and looks back at you. But that is... it's better that you see it firsthand when it happens. Now then, are there any other questions that you have for me? What were those things about Kasakana? Oh, you're talking about my children. Yes. As my rift is Hephaestus, the forge of the fire to the gods the Greek gods to be specific, and as such, I just made a few modifications to make their lives a little bit easier. On top of that, they also provided some good data as far as my applicability to see if I could bring out their rift powers by doing a couple of modifications on them. Of course, some were more successful than others, but I assure you, I make sure to take care of all my children. They are my creations, after all. They were perfectly good human beings. Not broken toys to be tinkered with. Oh, don't misunderstand, my good Friedrich. I never viewed them as broken. I just gave them some enhancements to unlock the full capabilities, is all. Everybody is able to access their own powers once in a while. Some people want modifications. Others need a reminder of some events from the past that woken them up to the powers in order to enhance their fortitude. But everybody is a little bit different. And of course, it all coalesces into the singular theory that you must allow your rift to enter your mind and your heart you must not keep it chained for long now then Friedrich one more question I really don't like you 
I tend to get that a lot from people. But with my line of work, you must accept the fact that some individuals may not like what you're doing, and that's okay. You must live for the grand scheme in mind, and not lower yourself to accommodating and wanting the praise of individuals. Because if you can do good for the masses, instead of appeasing the few, you will tend to find that life gets a little bit easier when you don't try to live up to the expectations that people put on you. And once again gives you just a eerily gentle smile behind this glass pane. Or plexiglass plane, I should say. The more this guy talks, the more and more it just pisses Friedrich off. Because he's talking about making these people either live the most traumatic experience imaginable or making them relive it. Friedrich is just... The pressure is building up with him a little bit. And now, instead of just the canines growing, that... I won't say it's like a total black smoke, but it's just like a light black mist is slowly starting to come off of me and Cerberus. And my eyes are slowly starting to like flicker that reddish color. The chief kind of notices this and puts his hand on your shoulder, Friedrich. And you just hear the chief say, Easy now, Friedrich. You must not lose control here. And as he says that, you can... Not that he's electrocuting you, but you can, you can feel this nice light kind of electric pulse go through your body. Not in the sense that it you're being electrocuted and that you're in pain. but It's like a light buzz letting you know, hey, there's something right here. Yeah. It's kind so of it's, static electricity. Yeah, it's like a static electricity and it's warm to the touch as it courses through your body, but it's more comforting than it is painful, so to speak. And as the chief kind of does that, you look over to Daz Friedrich, who just looks at you and just shakes her head. It's okay. You don't need to lose control. It's okay. And she just grabs your other shoulder and just says, just come back. It's okay. And she just smiles. We can talk about it later. But don't let him get under your skin. And she just smiles at you. My eyes have stopped flickering and they've gone back to that solid blue color. And the mist is still there, just not as heavy as it was. Okay. I just look at Dr. Drake and I say, I don't have any more questions for you now. And is there like an opening to put like trays of food through? There is. I reach into my pocket and I pull out two quarters and I throw those in through the the opening and I say, save those for the ferryman. And I start walking out. Oh, don't worry. I will. In fact, Hades is going to be visiting you real soon. He wants his dog back. I just stop in place and I half look back and I just say, good luck with that. And I continue out the door. Okay. As you walk out, Quinn is sitting at the desk as he notices you walking out. 
And then Dawes, you hear Dawes following right behind you as the door close, leaving the chief and Dr. Drake inside. And Quinn just gets out of his deck, walks over to you and Dawes, Friedrich. I'm sensing that a lot went down. Are you two okay? And Quinn just looks. Dawes gives her, just gives a silent nod. And then Quinn looks over to you, Friedrich, and says, And what about you, my good friend? Are you okay after that? I just kind of grab his shoulder, and I pull both of them in for a hug. So, Quinn, without even needing anything, just understands what this need means. And you three just, once again, giving that hug. And without saying a word, Quinn just takes you and Dawes by the hand and leads you out of the precinct as it is the end of your shift. So after everybody has changed, Quinn's just, come on, I got somewhere where I can take you to. Let's take it easy tonight. I'll drive as he pulls his car around. Are you two coming or not? I want to do something if it's all right with you. We'll get to you in a little bit, Corey. I was going to say, if nothing happens over with Corey, he was going to send everyone texting if you need to, come over for a drink. It's on me. Okay. If that's what you want to do, then as the three of you are figuring out to where you're going to go, you get the text message from your group chat from Corey saying that if you need it, drinks are on him at his place. You three get in the car, and I'm assuming y'all want to head over to Corey's. Friedrich. Preacher. Ah, okay. Edit point, make sure... So, the three of you get in your cars and you head on over to Corey's as the three of you just sit there in a little bit of an awkward silence as you make your way to the house. Corey, we cut back to you. So we rewind the clock a little bit and you, after a little bit of time, you make your way back to the house after leaving your cop buddies. And you make your way back to the house. Is it working now? Yes. Okay. Cool. So, Corey, you arrive at the house. Uh, What is your sense of... If you had this rate on a scale of one to five, what is your sense of urgency at the moment? It is a four. Okay. So, as soon as you park the car, you just hop out of it. And you, as quickly as you can, hobble your way back to the house. And you just unlock the door and enter inside. And yeah, you make your way inside the house. So what is your first thing that you are trying to do? He's immediately looking for the girls. Okay. So as you frantically look around the lower floor, your girls aren't there. You make your way up the stairs and you find your girls in, in their rooms, respectively. Their doors are open at this point, and they hear you hobble, come up the stairs, and they both walk out. Your oldest kind of goes, Welcome home, Dad. And uh, looks at... Before she says anything else, he pulls them both in for a big hug. Okay, so you give him a hug. Okay, and they hug you back. I don't know what brought this on, but I'm not going to say no to a hug and just allow the... I was worried. I thought something bad happened to you both. I know we're troublemakers, but what kind of trouble did you think we could get in? Was that the oldest? Yes. You will hear tonight, as he's going to send the text now. If the others come, they will also hear it. But 
I will tell you later, Han, after, as he looks at his youngest, after someone heads to bed. Your youngest is, oh man, I don't get to learn anything fun. And she gives you a little pouty face. He scratched her hair. Not yet. But I will, tr- but you will learn one day. Fine. And she just pouts, but smiles as well. As he starts to head back down, as he's going to start making some snacks it, for later on tonight, if people actually come, or as a meal for himself. Okay. Try cool. trying to get his mind off of all the shenanigans, as he's going to see if he's going to replay the recording he has to see if it see if he's actually correct. He's not just making shit up. Okay. So, exactly what it, what is it that you're trying to do right now? So as he's cooking, he's just going to play the recording on his phone from his the whole him and his father talking just to see because like he's having doubts that oh I could have just made that up because no one else saw his father only he did. So he's trying to make sure. Yeah, I was talking to him. Yeah. That's what, that's what he's using the checking with the recording for. Okay, yeah, so you're playing the recording and you definitely do hear your father's voice on it, so you're not imagining him and it's basically repeating the entire conversation that you had with him at the abandoned carnival grounds about what happened that day at the fire and just everything else that you talked about with him too before he left. I'm gonna pause the recording. I'm just gonna get to work as I wait to see if they, if the rest of the group comes, that we cut back. Okay. And so you await your response. So we cut back to our trio of police officers. You, so Da Quinn is driving since it is his car. Das is in the passenger seat. Friedrich, you and Cerberus are in the passenger seats in the back so all your phones ding Dawes looks at it and says huh oh it seems that Corey would, says that if we need a drink it's on him and to stop by his house if we want and she looks up you okay with us going over there Friedrich after we do this stop real quick no I don't mind okay so once we what once you take care of whatever you need to here then we'll just go head over to Corey's as Quinn puts the car in park and you guys are in front of the park, which also houses the cemetery as well. I forgot her name. The little old lady with the flower shop. What was, the, what was her name? Mrs. Yu. Mrs. Yu. Is her flower shop nearby the park? No, it wouldn't be. No, <laughs> the okay. Fl- the flower shop is would be closest within the vicinity of your apartment. It's closer to Max's apartment because he literally lives in the same building as the shop. But the park and Mrs. Yu's flower shop are not in the same part of town. Okay, I'm just asking. It's been a hot minute. But uh, is there any flower shops open that's near the park? You have the little flower stands like as you walk into the park because sometimes there are flower vendors. Think of this park as similar to Central Park, which is like big and you can sell things there in the various aspects. So as you're walking through, you see different vendors like ice cream, but there's also a little flower vendor as well. 
Okay, I want to walk up to one of the flower vendors. I walk up. Excuse me, are you still open? Well, of course. What can I do for you? As you see this kind of stout, older-looking male. This might sound like a odd request, but do you have any black roses? Of course. And just pulls it out. And I start reaching for my wallet, and I said, "Take two black roses, please." Ah. Oh, and kind of sees you pull. Look for your wallet, and he puts his hand on yours and says, No, no worries, Friedrich. This one's on the house. And he just gives you the two black roses. Still pull out a five, and I put it in the tip jar. This florist kind of just smiles as he gives you the two black roses. Thank you kindly for your business. Dankeschön. And I start making my way to the cemetery. Okay. So you make your way to the cemetery. So... You make your way there. And I go up to my mother and father's headstones. And I place one rose at each headstone. And any leaves or twigs that might be like on the headstones themselves, I brush them off. And I kiss each headstone. Okay. So you kiss each headstone. So I'm just going to let you roll with it. Just as a gentle reminder, Josh, you do what you feel your character needs to do. I am here to support you in any way you can. You just take the time that you need, but I'm going to let you go ahead and narrate this. So whenever you feel ready, you may do so, my friend. Sorry, the music's not helping any. (laughs) I got to give atmosphere because it pulls out the best in you, as we already know. You take the time that you need. I just don't want to sound like a blubbering fool. (laughs) Dude, just, dude, it's okay. I'm here to support you in whatever you need. It's okay to let those raw emotions out. That's what makes, this is what makes it therapeutic. But I'm here to support you in any way I can. For your red. When he kisses the headstones, he just, he just kneels down in between them. And even though he's not Catholic, he's more Protestant. His parents grew up Catholic. So when he kneels down, he does the traditional hand cross and he just says a short prayer and he just gives the rundown of what's been going on and of course tells them how much he misses them and and he just, he just says he hopes he's making them proud. And for him, this seems like it's taken forever, but in reality, it's probably five minutes, maybe ten minutes at most. And after he finishes, he walks up, he kisses the headstones again, and wipes away his tears, and heads back to the car with his friends. Okay. So, as you begin walking your way back to Dawes and Quinn, you just feel this surprisingly warm breeze. It is the middle of the evening at this point. But you feel the wind blow through the park in the cemetery as you feel this warmth gently blow in your direction. And you feel as if the wind is caressing your cheek. And kind of this warm sensation passes through you. And you stop for a brief moment and just trying to understand how the wind could be so warm when it is a little chilly outside. But without giving it a second thought, you just smile and you make your way back to the car where your friends are waiting for you and you all get in to Quinn's car and you make your way over to Corey's. 
So, Corey, you hear a knock at the door. I go to the door to open it. Yep. So you open the door, and Quinn, Dawes, and Friedrich, as well as Cerberus, you all, the four of them, make their way inside, and you already have drinks all set up for them. And without even non verbally exchanging any words, the four of you just grab your drinks. And not that the atmosphere is very somber. And down in the dumps, it's more of a cathartic feeling of things that have come to the surface that some thought they had buried in the past long ago, but have come to the realization that the past never truly lets go as much as you try to run from it. But there's also a little bit of a sliver of hope as well. Well, I hate to ruin ruin this little bit of rest respite that we all got but we have put away one bad man but the partner's still out there and we have another threat coming I believe I do not know who the snow queen is but he's going to start the he's going to slowly pull out the phone I'm going to give you the choice now you can learn the partner and be dragged into being Quinn's the one who knows about my father, right? Yes, Quinn is the only one who knows because after you guys had that talk outside of the club during the first case while you were investigating, he promised to help you. I can drag you into what I've, what me and Quinn have been slowly working on, or you can stay out of it. It is your call if you want to, as he gets the phone recording ready. Okay. How do you respond to Corey's, I don't want to say deal, but more of the proposition? Let's look at him, I say, we're all in this together, so whatever you are about to do, I'll still be here. I look at DS. I want to say the names correctly. Das. Das, yeah. I look at Das. Das kind of just looks at you, Corey. And despite everything that has happened over the last few days and everything that has been brought up from both of your pasts, so to speak, she just nods and tells you, Whatever it is, it seems that we are in this together, Mr. O'Reilly. So I agree. So let us hear what you have. As he plays the recording in front of them. Okay. So, Corey, you played this recording, and Friedrich and Dawes, for the first time, you guys overhear Corey having a conversation with another man. And as this conversation plays out, you are just listening to things that are being said. But as you look over at Dawes, kind of face just goes pale as she recognizes the voice that Corey is talking to. And as the recording kind of ends, Dawes looks at you, Corey, and just says, You've got to be kidding me. How is he still alive? You know, you're asking me. All I saw was a raven fly out of that building. I don't know. I don't know if he could. I don't know what the hell he is can do. I just know he somehow survived. I might be a demon, and I'll accept that. The man's 
But the man's a devil. The man is greater than me in many ways. For even I can't escape death as well as he can. And Daz just finds a seat at your countertop bar, Corey, and just sits and just says, I thought he died that day in the fire. But it seems that he's still alive, unfortunately. And she kind of just puts her hands on her head. The world's definitely going to spin more out of control. As I would, I will send an announcement tip to the chief. We're going to have more bodies coming. Bad but true. As you are having this conversation, Quinn just pipes up a little bit. It seems that there's a lot more going on than I initially thought. First, we have Dr. Drake mention somebody by the name of the Snow Queen. And your father mentions the Fisher King. What the hell is going on in this city? It looks like I did do good enough job back in my active days. And now, even if I wanted to fix it my way, I cannot. Too many myths in, 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 in just too many places. It's no longer the fight to see who can survive the longest. Or who's become the most powerful. And we have the... We have both the old and the new fighting to see who has control. At this point, Daz speaks. We have a lot that we're going to need to figure out here, but that can wait for tomorrow. For tonight, let's just decompress. I agree to that. As he just just chugs a coffee mug full of wine. (laughs) It's not elegant, but it works. Yeah. So I will say... Cool. As the five of you, because I'm including Cerberus on this one, as the five of you just continue on into the evening with your drinks, I will say that everybody is just decompressing, just having a couple. Everybody is being safe. So, Corey, you have some spare rooms that you offer for everybody to just sleep over because nobody's going to drive home under the influence. We're safe in this game. But as the evening continues, you guys just decompress unwind, enjoy each other's company as best as you can, given the circumstances. And as the late evening begins to roll into early morning, you all finally make your ways to your beds, where there are some complimentary pajamas and some individual spare rooms for those of you. And as each and every single one of you get comfortable into bed, for different reasons and for a variety of different reasons. Each of you just contemplate the revelations that have been made over the last couple of days, as especially with all the information that you guys have been presented to now. Who exactly is the Snow Queen? What is the true goal of her mission? How will she be freeing the rifts, as Dr. Drake says? But on top of that, who is the Fisher King? And what does Corey's dad have a role in that? Is he a free agent? Is he playing aside? Is he helping? These are all questions that plague your mind. But as Daz mentioned earlier in the evening, that is for tomorrow's day. And as you try to get your brains to slow down a little bit, at various points, you each finally embrace the arms of rest as your eyes begin to grow heavy until you all eventually fall asleep 
as the camera kind of pans out in the quietness of the house, it gives a panoramic view of the city as it is covered in a neon glow from all of the streetlights and the neon signs as the nightlife continues on into the early morning. Who's to say what's about to come next? Things seem to be a lot bigger in scope than you initially thought. But one thing is for certain. You have a lot of work to do. And time will tell if you will be successful. But in the meantime, you get the rest that you so well deserved. And the camera kind of points out to the shot of the city. As the last scene that we hear is just the bustle of the nightlife and the slow kind of murmurs of the taxis and the cars going through the night. As the moon gently caresses the life below and kind of illuminates as much as it can the city of Pain Town. Even with all the corners of darkness, nothing can truly hide from the light of the night. And that, my friends, is where we're going to end our season one game right there. <laughs> so, there's a lot of things that have been revealed. There's a lot of information that is about to go down. But that is where we're going to end the season right there. So, when we come back with the next episode to my listening audience, the next time when you hear from us will be our season one fire chat. We're just going to quickly talk about our thoughts on the season. Any questions that my players have for me, just going over something quickly. But that will be the official end of the quote-unquote actual play sessions for this campaign. So don't worry, we have the fireside chat coming up in about two weeks. But for everybody, thank you so much for tuning into. Knights of Pain Town, a City of Mist actual play podcast. And thank you for joining us on the season one journey. So as always, from all of us here at the D at Vibe Tribe Productions, remember, take care of each other, love one another. And as always, let the good times roll. Catch you later. I'll be there, San. See you next time.